Edoniram Judson uh, was born in 1788. I realize that's before your time. It's before my time too, which is somewhat encouraging. Uh, he was born in the northeast of the United States, born into a Christian family. Not only that, but his father was a pastor. So Judson grew up in, in uh, a solid home. He went away to school, um, and it was there that he started questioning his faith, which is interesting because we're looking, you know, 1788, early 1800s. Uh, doubting your faith was, was a possibility and we hear so much about that in our culture today. Uh, it's not new. Anyway, Judson started hanging around a group of young men who had uh, felt like there is no God, or they, if there was a God, they didn't believe in a God. And so Judson kind of jumped on board with that kind of thinking as well. And after he graduated, just uh, walking through life, really had no purpose or plan to his life. One night he, he pulls into a um, I would say a hotel, but they didn't have hotels back in the day. Um, uh, a building where people could could rest for the night. Re- we'll call it a rest area, but that's not accurate either because those are on the side of the road. You know, where anyway, it was a place where you could sleep. And during the night, he heard. All kinds of sounds coming from the room next to him, like groaning and and stuff, and it kind of kept him up. And in the following morning, he goes to the front desk and he asks the the man, "Hey, what what, what was going on in the room next to me?" And he said, um, uh, "That man died during the night." And and he said, "Well, what's his name?" And he said, "It's Jacob Hughes." Jacob Hughes was a close friend to Judson's. And it, t- it took his breath away. Like, I can't believe it. He was one of my closest friends, and now he's gone. And so with that, with that happening in Judson's life, God got his attention to get him back on track with what was most important in his life, and that was his relationship with Jesus Christ. And in the process of that happening, Judson, uh, as he was maturing in his faith, God called him as a missionary to to the country of Burma. And before he left, he got married. Um, They made plans. They got financial support all rounded up for for their mission excursion. And uh, and they get in the boat and take off for for Burma. So um, when they finally arrived, uh, Judson's wife was pregnant, by the way. And for three weeks, Burma would not allow them to land on their shore. And so for three weeks, they're just kind of circling in the bay. And finally, um, Judson's wife delivers the baby. And in the process, the baby dies. And finally, Burma gave them permission to come ashore. And for the first six and a half years, um, Judson and his wife shared the gospel with the Burmese people. For those first six and a half years, not one person put their faith in Christ. In fact, financial supporters back in America were writing letters to Justin to say, maybe you should just pack it up and come back home again because this doesn't seem to be working. So Judson, you know, eh, I don't know. I don't know if I should do that. He, you know, he said, I'm going to keep perspective here. I'm going to keep praying. I'm going to keep teaching God's word, and I'm not going to give up. He was resolute. Well, over the years, war broke out in Burma, and because Judson was an American, he was arrested by the authorities thinking that he was a spy for the United States. And so he went into prison, um, and he spent 19 months um, in prison, in two different prisons. And this is what they did uh, to the prisoners back in Burma. They would put you on the ground. They would uh, use metal deals to hold your arms down, and then they would tie your feet up to a pole, tie you on that, and that's how you spent your days. Imagine 19 months of your life living like that. 
God, did you call me to Burma? You know, you can imagine the mental torment that could happen. Yeah, my my friends back in America said I should come back at six and a half years, and here I I worked hard for you, Lord, and this is the reward I get. You know, Justin could have been very bitter and angry at God, but no, that didn't happen. Over the years, he was in Burma for 40 years altogether. His wife and three children would die in Burma. Later, Judson remarried and had two more children, and his second wife and his two children died in the process. And time and time again, Judson, you would say he would have the right to feel sorry for himself. You know, But there was something inside of him with this mindset that I will not give up. I, I, I'm not going to give up. In fact, putting it realistically, you could say, well, you know, Judson, there was something wrong with No, no, he, he grieved. He, for, for a season, he went out into the woods and he built a hut and he lived by himself just to get along with God to kind of work through the pain that he had endeavored. And he came through it and he went back to the village and continued teaching people about Jesus Christ. Well, today there's over 3,700 churches in Burma that trace their beginnings back to Adoniram Judson's service through their country. Recently, in fact, a pastor in the United States was talking about Judson's life. And following the service, three young men came up afterwards and introduced themselves. And they said, we're visiting the United States and we're from Burma. And they said, we put our faith in Jesus Christ at a Burmese church called Judson Church. And it turns out that some of those seeds that Judson planted actually did take root. Pretty cool, huh? Yeah. So this morning, I don't know what kind of life situation you're at. I know you're not in prison, uh, in a prison like that with Judson, but you may have gone through and going through circumstances and challenges today where you could start to feel sorry for yourself. But when you look at Judson's story and you look at people around you that have persevered even through difficult situations, No, the thought occurs, you know what, I am not going to quit. I am not going to give up. I am going to continue in my relationship with Christ. And so this morning, as we look at our topic, Seeing Clearly Spiritually in 2020, uh, on the back of your programs, the verses are there. You can follow along, or if you have your Bible, by all means, you can open it and follow with us. Hebrews 12, starting at verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith, because Of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. And now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. After all, you have not given your lives in your struggle against sin. This morning you may be weary. You may be thinking thoughts of giving up your spiritual journey with Christ. And I would just encourage you to allow the Spirit of God to speak to you in a very personal way. And as we apply God's Word to our lives this morning, this first Sunday in 2020, the Spirit of the living God will embed Himself into your core to have that same Spirit that Adoniram Judson had in Burma. I will not give up. I will press on and finish the course that Jesus Christ has laid out before me. And so, Father, we thank you for your word. 
We thank you for a brand new year. For some here, it's good to be out of 2019 and facing a brand new year. And so, Lord, here we are. We're here. Very simply, Lord, we're here because we need you. And we need more of you and less of us. Let that happen today. In Jesus' name, amen. So, yeah, we're in a brand new year. We could ask, and maybe you've already heard the question, so how are you doing? Maybe somebody asked you that question uh, when you came in today. But let's, let's hit the pause button on that. Instead, let's ask the question, if there's one thing you would change in your life, what would it be? Let's start there today. If there's one thing that you could change in your life, what would it be? Just think about it. Maybe you want to write it down. There's some examples from people on social media who would change. This is uh, a family that said their grade school-aged child is losing a battle with a crippling disease and we're ticked off at God. We'd like to change that. There's a couple that have been married less than two years and they're ready to call it quits. They'd like to change that. Another couple, another dud pregnancy test. They'd like to change that. Here's a parent that just came off a tantrum screaming at his child. He'd like to quit that. There's a woman who feels invisible to her husband and kids, and she'd like to change that. There's a man who's dealing with depression. He can't seem to come out of it. He'd like to change that. There's a man who is not certain no one will ever love him. He'd like to see that changed. And so when we look at some of these examples this morning, we all can identify, we all have our own stories, our own challenges, our own tests that life throws our way. The author of Hebrews, by the way, is uh, writing to you and to me words of encouragement for those that would like to make changes and think of one change they'd like to make in their life, we need encouragement, and this writer is doing that very thing. And he's saying to you and I, don't give up. Don't quit. Hang on and press on. That's what he's saying. In fact, a parallel verse that I, I really enjoy, it, I, I read it often to challenge myself, is in First Corinthians 16.13, it says, Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous. Be strong. How many of you know as a follower of Jesus Christ, this is not some playground where you can just dilly-dally and put it on cruise control for the rest of your life. When you put your faith in Christ, you put yourself on a battlefield. Because there is definite resistance against your living your life for Jesus. So you need courage, and you need to be strong to make a difference in your world, just like Adoniram Judson did. He didn't quit. So when you feel like quitting, when you feel like giving up, would you like Mr. Rogers to come ring your doorbell? For all of you that have the ring doorbell, you get to see who's going to ring your doorbell before they ring it. And you have the choice to, to pretend like you're not home. Mr. Rogers, here he is. You're going to open a door for him. You know, Mr. Rogers, he'll pat you on the back and tell you how cool you are. Or on the other side, maybe you need William Wallace to ring your doorbell. Maybe this is the year you need William Wallace from Braveheart. Instead of patting you on the back, he needs to bump you in the chest until you get on with it, get on the battlefield. This is not a time to turn and run. It's time to fight. Right? So, should we take a vote? We'll have all the Mr. Rogers on this side and all the William Wallace's over here. 
No, you could stay put, but you can vote internally. We'll let you do that. You see, Mr. Rogers can comfort you, but William Wallace will encourage you. And in 2020, we need more than comfort. We need courage to press on in our walk with Christ. I vote for William Wallace. I need that kind of encouragement in my personal life. So how about you? You get to vote. You get to pick. It's all up to you. So number one in your notes, I'm not alone. Coming off uh, Hebrews 12, verse 1a, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith. So when we read this front end of verse 1, uh, we're giving a source of motivation, inspiration, and even accountability here. But when the writers write such a huge crowd of witnesses, what's that about? What's he talking about? The writer gives us a clue in the first word in verse 1 where he says, therefore. And when you read your Bibles, every time you read the word therefore, it's, it's there on purpose. It's strategically placed. And it simply means, as you're reading this verse, in order to keep it in perspective, you need to put it in reverse and go back to the previous chapter and read it all together. So really, what the author is writing to us in verse 12, he's saying, this crowd of witnesses, here's a little hint, you're going to find them in Hebrews 11. That's what we're talking about. So... Hebrews 11, it's called the Faith Hall of Fame, and it offers you a list of people. You know, a couple weeks ago, we talked about the genealogy of Jesus, you know, people's lives that were messed up, you know, and they ended up in Jesus' genealogy. Well, you're going to find some of those same people in the Hall of Faith in Hebrews 11, which should encourage you. So many times we put pressure on ourselves, and even maybe you've already done it in 2020, that you have to be perfect spiritually for God to love you this year. Listen, nobody is going to be perfect. Jesus was the only perfect person who ever lived on this planet. But here's the deal. We may not be perfect, but we purpose to grow to become more like Jesus. So when we fail, when we sin, we go to Jesus and we ask him to forgive us so that we are able to continue on that path that he has for us. And so these witnesses, they weren't perfect, but they're in the hall of faith. If we had a 2020 hall of faith, would your name be written in there? Huh? That's a good question. Would, you, would they put your name? The Living Bible puts it this way, since we have such a huge crowd of men of faith watching us from the grandstands. Now, look, look at that imagery. So, so the writer is, is implying that as a follower of Christ, you're not a spectator. You, you're not sidelined. You're on the playing field. You're out there. And the people that have lived before you, they are spectators up in the grandstands they have finished the race that God has set before them, and because they finished it, they are encouraging you and me to do the very same thing. And man, when you dissect Hebrews 11 and you see the challenges that some of these people's had, and they persevered, man, that would give you and I the courage to do the very same thing, that we will not flirt with the idea of giving up and quitting. Instead, we purpose to finish strong. So, those heroes of the past, I would like to submit to you this morning that we also have heroes of faith in 2020. What do you think of that? A week ago last Saturday, Clemson University played Ohio State University in a football game. And after the game was over, the winning coach, Dabo Sweeney, was interviewed on national television. And this is what he had to say. Right there, and, and, uh, and it hit. So, man, what a, first of all, 
This is how a championship game ought to be. I mean, I, I mean, unbelievable the favor of God, first of all. All glory to God, but also the heart of Ohio State. I mean, um, what, a, what a football game. It's a shame somebody had to lose that game. I told Ron, I mean, that, that Ohio State team, what an unbelievable game. The quarterback, the back, the, I mean, just those guys played their hearts out. But in the end, our guys showed what they're made of. You know, they got the heart of a champion. They got the eye of the tiger. And, uh, man, the favor of God was just with us tonight. And I, I mean, just unbelievable. Uh, Amari been silent the whole game. And, man, I kept telling him, I was like, I'm telling you, you're going to make a play. And then I also, right before that last one, I told Nolan Turner, I said, don't be pouting. I said, you're going to make the interception to win this thing. And, I mean, it's just amazing to see it end like that. I'm just so proud of our team and our staff. Hard-fought game. We hung in there. You know, we're going to New Orleans. I guess we're playing LSU. So, let's go. All right, it's 29 straight wins for this guy, Dabo Sweet. Congratulations. Hey, thank you so much. To God be the glory. Tom. Oh, man. Oh, man, that's good. It is Dabo Sweeney a hero of faith? Absolutely. Is Dabo Sweeney perfect? No. No, he, he admits he messes up at times. Listen, on national television, he takes an opportunity to give glory to God. I'm telling you something, man. That's a hero of faith in my book. And the dude next to him, that hippie Trevor Lawrence that was walking next to him, when he was interviewed, he quoted Ephesians 3.20, giving glory to God as well. Hey, man, it's happening. It's not just heroes of faith from the past. God is looking for heroes of faith in the present. He's looking for heroes of faith in 2020. For example, in um, just last week in Atlanta, Georgia, 65,000 college students ring in the new year worshiping Jesus. It's not your typical college New Year's party. More than 65,000 young Christians gathered in Atlanta Stadium to kick off a new decade with worship, prayer, and Bible teaching. The Passion Conference is more than a conference, more than an event, more than a feeling. Passion is you and me saying goodbye to lesser things and saying yes to Jesus the one whose name is above every name. Heroes of faith, I would say 65,000 college students in Atlanta, Georgia last week. They encouraged me. When that happens, that tells me, man, I'm going to press on with God because 65,000 young people are saying yes to him. Kanye West, this came out the tail end of last year celebrates one year of Sunday service at Los Angeles Homeless Shelter. He says, this thing saved my life. A lot of times people say, thank you for Sunday service. I'm thanking God because he saved me. He saved my life. Wes said, while singing Closed on Sunday, a song referencing Chick-fil-A and family values, this thing was an alternative to opioids. This thing was an alternative to pornography. I worked for others before Christ, and it landed me right in the hospital. Adam Tyson, West pastor, said, Many come for the fashion mogul, but leave as a changed person. It feels like half the crowd comes because they are Kanye fans, but we want them to leave knowing Jesus Christ. We want them to know that there is something better than what the world offers. The answer is found in Jesus, in knowing him, loving him, and walking in obedience to him. Kanye West is a hero of faith in my book. I see what God is doing in his life. Is Kanye perfect? Absolutely not. But he is growing in his relationship with Christ, and he's challenging others to do the very same thing. There should be some noise going on right now. Huh? Come on now. When stuff like that is going on, man, that, that, is, a, that is something to celebrate. We, we should be encouraging Kanye to press on. 
This past year, he's done that very thing, same thing. And so there, there, there's many, many examples that we could put out this morning about heroes of faith in 2020. And I submit to you, are you in that Hall of Faith list for 2020? Is your name listed there? Well, guess what? God wants you there. That's his, that's his plan. That's his purpose. So we need to be encouraged. As we look at the tendency to feel sorry for ourselves and dwell on our unfair circumstances in life, when we focus in and put perspective on what people in the past have gone through, like Judson in Burma, like those that lived in Hebrews 11, Hebrews 11, 35, 38 said, But others were tortured, refusing to turn from God in order to be set free. They placed their hope in a better life after the resurrection. Some were jeered at and their backs were cut open with whips. Others were chained in prisons. Some died by stoning. Some were sawed in half. Others were killed with the sword. Some went about wearing skins of sheep and goats, destitute and oppressed and mistreated. And they were too good for this world, wandering over deserts and mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground. How would you like to live your life like that, huh? These are heroes of faith, and you want to know something else? In this part of the text, their names are not even listed. How could you deal with that? With our social media culture today, where we're looking for how many likes we have on Facebook. And here you have heroes of faith. Just look at what they've gone through. They don't care if their name's in there. They're in heaven. They're celebrating the fact that they finished the course that God set out before them. And so, we're not alone. We're not alone. You may feel alone. The enemy would want you to feel alone. But let me tell you something. That's the cool thing about coming to church and hanging with the body of Christ and realize that you're not alone. You're encouraging somebody else around you and somebody else is encouraging you. That's the cool thing about being a follower of Jesus Christ in 2020. We need each other and we need to encourage each other. Number two, drop it. Drop what? Well, we'll get to that in a minute. Let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. This command doesn't come out of the blue, by the way. When you read through the book of Hebrews, you realize that There's a theme, and it's talking about enduring, persevering, fighting, being alert, being strengthened, not drifting, not neglecting, not being sluggish spiritually. Now that word strip off comes from a compound word in the Greek translated to lay something down and to push it beyond reach. So when the author's saying strip off every weight, He's talking about laying it down and pushing it away beyond reach. This writer, by the way, is writing to a group of people that have been battling persecution, that have gone through very tough times. And some have thought about being worn out and ready to give up. And the writer is saying, you need to identify, as a follower of Christ, you need to identify what's slowing you down, what's slowing you down, what's inhibiting you in your relationship with Christ, set it aside and kick it away. That's what he's saying. It's your responsibility and my responsibility to identify. Nobody else is going to do that for you. If you want to run strong in 2020, we have to drop what's slowing us down in our walk with Christ. So, How can we put a picture on that? Well, I was thinking uh, back in the day when I would take like a a bag of cookies and I would just sit with those cookies and I would put one in my mouth and then I would put another one in my mouth and then I would put another one and pretty soon I realized, what in the world am I doing? I'm not even thinking about what I'm doing. So then I I put the cookies instead of next to me up on the table where I could still reach them. And so I'm thinking, no more. No more cookies. Well, after a few minutes, this hand is going by the cookie bag. Now, who told my hand to do that? 
Where did that come from? So I realized I have to put those cookies out of reach. So I have to get out of my chair, take the bag of cookies, go into the kitchen, open the shelf, put them in the shelf, close the door on the shelf, and walk back into the family room. It's settled. That's the picture that the author is telling us in Hebrews 12 when we need to drop it. We can't let that stuff hang around because it it is tempting. It's too easy to reach out and grab it when we need it. Instead of going to Christ, we reach out for this, and it's slowing us down. It's impeding our relationship, our growth with Jesus Christ. So that's the answer. We need to strip off every weight. Strip off every weight. And that, once again, that's your responsibility. You have to take ownership of it. So drop what? First of all, distractions. Let us strip off every weight that slows us down. Slows us down, that means any kind of weight. Um, You carry an extra weight around, and uh, if you keep carrying it, you will eventually become physically exhausted, and you might give up. That's what the author's talking about. A simple distraction, let's identify it. We could say a victim mentality is a distraction. A victim mentality is becoming very popular in our country today. People with a victim mentality tend to whine and complain. They feel powerless to change, and so they lament their circumstances. It's like, I can't change my circumstances. I'm stuck. And so they focus on what's wrong instead of focusing on what's right. That's where they live in their world. The journalist James Glassman declares that a culture of complaint has infected America. A whiny, complaining spirit is is dangerous because it leads you and I to quitting. You see, a perfect example is the nation of Israel. You read in the Old Testament what they did so often. Instead of thanking God for his provision, they whined and complained because they couldn't get ice cream in the desert. And when you start whining and complaining... I'll tell you what, that destroys the relationship. All they could find out were were the faults about God. They never focused on how good God was to get them out of Egypt and celebrate that. Well, that same mentality has crept into America today. You know, it's woe is me. I'm a victim. A simple example would be, let's say you have a friend, you're going to go on a hike this afternoon. Well... You get out a couple blocks out of town and they start saying it's too hot. We know that's not true. I'm getting hungry. These shoes aren't very comfortable. Oh, yeah, my knee's starting to hurt. I'm getting eaten up by mosquitoes. That will happen one day. Well, not long, not too much longer after that, you're going to hear, I'm done. I'm going to go back home again. That's just how it is. You, you whine and complain, you're going to quit. It's the same like when you, the person that you work with, all they do is whine and complain. You know they're going to be quitting very soon. They're going to give up. And so these weights, let us strip off every weight. These weights may not necessarily be sinful weights, but they could be things that are holding us back from running efficiently in our walk with Christ. It could be how you use your time. It could be forms of entertainment. It could be even certain relationships, whatever that case. But here's the deal. Whatever you feel is a distraction or could be a distraction in your relationship with Christ, you can ask yourself, is this helping me run my race with Christ? Is this helping me or is it hurting me? Doesn't necessarily mean it's a sin, but is it helping you or hurting you in your race, in your relationship with Christ? That's a good way to deal with it. So, number two, strongholds. We come off distractions and we deal with with strongholds, and notice the verbiage, how it changes from stripping off every weight that slows us down 
to especially, in other words, get the highlighter out, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. It hurts your spiritual momentum. You know, you're on, you're on that race, you're running life, and all of a sudden this stronghold, this sin that keeps showing up, this hook that Satan has in your life, he trips you up and prevents you from gaining momentum and growing and maturing in your walk with Christ. What is that? What is that sin in your life that's become a stronghold? That every time it seems you want to grow, it holds you back. It shows up. It rings your doorbell. It says, I'm going to trip you up right now. Put a name on it. Benjamin Franklin, great theologian, not really, but he said this, be at war with your vices, at peace with your neighbors, and let every new year find you a better man. Well, I would say yo to Benjamin Franklin on this, be at war with your vices. Get rid of them. Take care of business. So, um, Matthew Barnett, he pastors out in Los Angeles, he has the Dream Center, and they take in people who live on the street or addicts or whatever the case may be, things that are thwarting them in their living a healthy life. And so he says, Bo was a young man with a bright future ahead of him. Bo sold prescription opioids across state lines, and soon Bo was using high quantities of prescription oxycodone himself on a daily basis, and his life began to spiral out of control. In the turmoil of his drug addiction, Bo learned about the Los Angeles Dream Center. Now this is later, Bo says, I'm so grateful for the Dream Center. Without this program, I don't know where I would be. Matt goes on to say, today our country's in the midst of an epidemic unlike anything we have ever seen. We at the Dream Center believe that in order to defeat any kind of addiction, the deeper reasons why people like Bo fall into this trap, they have to be identified. See, that's your responsibility. You have to identify those strongholds. An addict needs an internal to external transformation, a way to reform a person's identity that will, in effect, transform one's mindset, decision-making, and behavior. Our residents agree that the one year they are required to commit with us is the most effective amount of time to fully recover. I've met many men and women who, like Bo, battle the demons of drug addiction. In reality, Bo's story could be any of ours. Any one of us could fall prey to addiction. The important thing is acknowledging when it's happening and getting a hand up to beat this vicious cycle. The Dream Center, by the way, teaches the gospel of Jesus Christ and the resurrection of power, resurrection power that raised Jesus from the grave is resident inside a follower of Christ. And you don't have to become a slave to sin. And with help, receiving help, like at the Dream Center, you can walk in victory. We're talking about strongholds, and even in this room this morning, it's very possible that there are men and women that are addicted to drugs, prescription drugs, whatever the case may be. And yes, we talk about that in church because we live in a real world, and there's hurting people in the real world, and there is not a perfect person in this room right now. And that's why we need each other. Another stronghold that is sweeping through churches today, not only out of church, but in the church, is pornography. Chris Bollinger writes an article, What is the one essential key to helping men kick porn? He said, I was attending a men's retreat, and I was asked 
to be an assistant for this particular lesson. The question was to the men in the room, who's the strongest man in the room? Dave, the leader, asked each table to select its strongest man, five men, five tables, five men came forward. Now Dave announced we're going to find out who is the strongest man in the room. Push-ups would decide it. When Dave told them to start, the five men would begin doing push-ups, and Dave informed them that it didn't matter how many push-ups they did. Instead, this was a test of endurance. The last man who was still doing push-ups continually, without more than a second of rest in between two push-ups, would be declared the strongest man in the room. The men started. Within two minutes, two men quit. A minute later, a third dropped out. So now it was down to two. These two men went at it for another minute, then two, then three minutes. And finally, one of them could not lift his chest off the floor. He was done. And we had a winner. Can anything subdue his strength? Well, pointing to the chair, Dave had the champion sit in the chair, in the throne in front of the rest of the men. And with the winner's permission, I zip-tied his wrists and ankles to the chair. In a loud voice, Dave addressed the man in the chair. Let's see how strong you are now. Get out of the chair. The man tried to break those zip ties. He strained and he worked. He sweated. Couldn't do it. Dave turned to the men. Here's my question. Who was the strongest man in the room rendered utterly powerless by four thin pieces of plastic? How could something so trivial completely incapacitate a man of great strength? Four little pieces of plastic. What sin binds roughly 70% of Christian men? It's pornography. In fact, it's today's most common zip tie. And it's increasing every single year. What's the key? What's the key for breaking free from pornography? Not everyone who views porn becomes an addict, and some men, once they recognize the negative consequences of viewing pornography, they're able to break their porn habit in fairly short order. But most men who use porn remain zip-tied to it for years. How is our strong man going to be freed? Can he struggle his way to freedom? Can he pray his way to freedom? What will it take to restore him to full strength? Anybody got a knife? I had my Swiss Army knife in my pocket, which I used to free our champion. He leaped from the chair to the applause of the other men in the room. And then Dave explained the lesson. Just as the strongest man in the room was unable to break himself free from the zip ties, the strongest Christian can find himself unable to break free from his own sin. He needs help from God and support from his brothers in Christ. So who can supply the knife? He goes on to talking about we need mentors, we need other men who can keep information confidential, an accountability partner, because accountability is the key to overcoming pornography use. So the question is, These strongholds, are we going to bring these from the past into a brand new year? This addiction that we have, whatever the case may be, whatever is inhibiting you from your pursuit in Christ, are you going to allow that to slow you down in 2020? Well, that decision is up to you. Notice the sin that so easily trips us up. It's referring to specific sins. Specific sins. The ones that we're most likely to commit. The most easily that get a grip on us. The ones that are our favorite sins that we fall into. And so, whatever it is, we need to identify it. And deal with it. First John 2, 3, and 5, it says, And we can be sure that we know Him, Christ, if we obey His commandments. If someone claims, I know God, but doesn't obey God's commandments, that person's a liar and is not living in the truth. But those who obey God's word truly show how 
completely they love him. And that is how we know we are living for him. Another stronghold would be coasting, coasting spiritually, putting it on cruise control, coming in from last year and keeping it the same. I can become the person God needs me to be by remaining who I am. No, that's not true. In fact, Kenny Luck puts it this way, sooner or later, if you're coasting, you're going to encounter some devilish sabotage. The only defense is is to accept that difficult growth always requires ruthless pursuit of God. Anything else leaves you vulnerable. Remember, you will never arrive until you arrive. As in, hello, Jesus, nice place you have here, arrive. The Bible is clear that down here we'll never arrive. We simply keep fighting, becoming more like Christ with every success, remembering that the only true success is the one that points to him. And so, some quick practical tips. How do you break free? Number one, you run with wise friends. Are you influencing your friends or are your friends influencing you? Proverbs 13, 20, walk with the wise and become wise. Associate with fools and you get in trouble. 1 Corinthians 15, 33, bad company corrupts good character. Maybe you need to cut some of your wrong friends loose, right? How about dropping certain activities? On our 21-day fast, a very practical uh, thing to drop would be social media. Just drop it for 21 days and see what, and come back after 21 days and see how different you may be. That's just an op- option. Number three, get help. So if you have a secret weight, pornography, gambling, drugs, alcohol, admit your need and get help. Get help. Rick Warren writes, sin always involves self-deception. At the moment you're sinning, you're deceiving yourself because you think that what you're doing will actually produce better results than what God has already told you to do. To stop defeating yourself, you must stop deceiving yourself. You've got to take an honest look at your life, face the truth, and deal with the issues. Is there something in your life that you're pretending isn't a problem? Maybe an addiction, something that you're thinking is no big deal when it really is a big deal. It really doesn't matter whether you're addicted to heroin or abusing a credit card, whether you're viewing pornography or reading a crude novel. You're using these things to escape something painful or something hard to deal with, but you're not going to find healing until you first acknowledge the root of your problem. You don't have to hit rock bottom before you really change There are wake-up calls going on all around you even right now. But you have to listen. But if you don't, you'll continue on a path towards destruction. You don't have to go that way. You can acknowledge the root of the issue and ask God to help you deal with it once and for all. Rick said, I asked our professional counselors from our church, what's the biggest problem you encounter? And they always come back and say, People wait too long before they ask for help. Then it's almost impossible to turn around. There will be warning signs all over the place. For too many people stay in denial and wait until it's too late, and so they go through unnecessary pain. And 1 John 1.8 says, If we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. What hard questions do you need to be asking yourself about the sin in your life? What warning signs have you been ignoring? If you want healing, acknowledge the root of your problem and face the truth about you. God is ready, willing, and wanting to bring healing to your life. Are you going to wait too long? In 2020, I hope not, because this morning, the first Sunday of 2020, you can come to God for help, asking those hard questions that we need to ask about the sin in our lives, and we need to drop it 
so we can run effectively in 2020 in God's hall of faith. What has the Spirit of God been speaking to you about? What is that one thing you would change in your life? God wants to help you. God wants to see you through it, if you let him. And Father, we thank you this morning for the encouragement that we've received, Lord, from Hebrews 12. And even backing up into Hebrews 11 to see how people lived for you, even in difficult situations where they purposed never to give up. And Lord, I pray on the front end of 2020, we will commit to you, Lord, that we will not slow down. We will not coast through this year spiritually. Instead, Lord, we will be proactive in taking time to meet with you, allowing your word to speak to us and obeying your word applying it to our lives. Forgive us, Lord, if we have made excuses. Forgive us for allowing strongholds to live with us, to prevent us from becoming all that you want us to be. And we're asking for your help today, Lord, and that we too would work along with you because we have to allow you to work. We can say no or we can say yes. So help us, Lord. Forgive us, Lord. Thank you for never giving up on us. Lord, thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.